We've started this new study. We're calling it Key Biblical Truths That Every Christian Must Understand. And let me just say this. When we're talking about the key biblical truths that every Christian must understand, these, some of these things or many of these things, you'd say, well, I, I kind of know about that. I mean, I know that. I've heard that. But we want you to know it in such a way that you're able to communicate it to other people. So our goal really is to know these key biblical truths and to be able to communicate these truths to other people. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to know? How can we know them? And we realize that a lot of believers, you know, we talked about it last week. Sometimes we'll have a membership training. People who maybe say they want to be a part of our church or something, and and they maybe hadn't come to the church very long. And I'll say to them, if you were to die, will you go to heaven? And they go, yeah. And I go, why? And they can't tell me. They can't tell me that they believed in Christ for eternal life. They, In fact, sometimes they say things that don't make any sense at all. So why is that? And so we realize a lot of Christians don't understand. Last week we began with the challenge. The challenge is to know the truths and pass them on to others. So even some of these stories, if you look over the outline, you'll say, well, I know what that is or I know what that is. We're going to see how these things fit together. The Word of God, in fact, we begin about uh, tonight talking about the Bible and what is the Bible, how does it fit, and all of those things. So here we go. If you notice, this lesson is called The Story of the Bible. And we're going to talk about what is the story of the Bible. Well, the Bible's a big book. And inside there are a lot of smaller books. In fact, what is the Bible about? What is the story of the Bible? Henrietta Mears wrote a book, which I think is excellent, and it was entitled, (coughs) What the Bible is All About. Actually takes each book of the Bible, gives information about it. What is the Bible all about? Well, if you notice, the Bible is what? One book, and it has 66 what? 66 other books. And well, I'm going to raise some questions in just a minute so that you can answer them. So the Bible is divided into two big parts. What are they? Old Testament and New Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, over 40 authors. And the books were written over a long period of time. Let me show you something. You may not have realized this. What Bible did Adam and Eve have? What about Noah? What about Abraham? Isaac? Jacob? Joseph? They didn't have a Bible. The first Bible, Moses, Moses wrote... Basically, what we'd started the the Torah, the first five books, and he did that about 1440 BC. And the last book was written at about 400 BC of the Old Testament. So it took about a thousand years to put together the Old Testament. New Testament, the first book of the New Testament was written in 45 AD, and it was the book of James. And the last book written was the book of Revelation. It was written about 95, so it took about 50 years to write the New Testament. So basically, Old Testament took about a thousand years to put it all together. New Testament took about 50 years to put it together and to, uh, to see how that fit together. So let's think about it. The Old Testament is divided into four sections, the law, the history, the writings, the prophets. Now that's how we divide it. Jewish Bible is divided into three parts. The Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketubim. The Torah is the first five books. The Nebim is the prophets, and the, uh, uh, prophets, and the Ketubim is the writings. We have the Law, which is the first five books. The history books, like we're studying on Sunday morning, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, the writings, Songs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Solomon, those books, and then prophecy. And we take our prophecy, and we have major prophets and minor prophets. That's the Old Testament. When you think about the New Testament. It's divided into three big sections. The history, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. See, some people just say Gospels, but the Gospels are actually history, and so is the book of Acts. So we look at it and we say history books, then the letters, which Paul wrote and Peter wrote and James wrote and John wrote, and prophecy, which is the book of Revelation. So that's sort of how the Bible fits together. So the, the bottom line is we see all of this. The Bible really goes way back. I mean, when you think about it, you know, um, 2,000, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, the Bible. And there's going to be a, a class, one of the lessons we're going to talk about, I entitle it, God Speaks to Us. Well, that's how we study the Bible, because that's how God speaks to us through the Scripture. We're going to talk about how do you study this? How do you actually get into these books and these things and put it together. So we'll see that later on. But the bottom line is this. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of God. This is basically saying we're to study the Bible, we're to put it together, we're to study it so we can be approved to God, and we will handle accurately. It literally means to cut straight. It means you know how the Bible fits together. 
And I think that would be very important that all of us in this room, if somebody said, well, how does the Bible fit together? What is this book about? If I said, what's the book of Romans about? What's Ephesians about? What's Habakkuk about? Name the first five books of the Bible. Put together the book of Romans. Tell me the difference in why what Matthew was written for, Mark was written for, Luke was written for, and John was written for. A lot of people could say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Should we, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, and that we have eternal life, and we're a child of God, and we have the written revelation from God, should we not know and understand the written revelation? I mean, the truth is this, it's in English, right? I mean, you know, it was really written, original Old Testament written in Hebrew and Aramaic, the New Testament was written in Greek, but we have it in English, so we should be able to understand the Bible and, and be able to put that together. So the book of, of you know, Second Timothy but says, you study to show yourself approved. So how can we know it? Many believers, and I don't mean this in a bad way, many believers have never actually studied the Bible. They talk about it. They've maybe been to Bible studies. You ever been to a Bible study where people come, they all sit down, they get in a circle, somebody's going to be sort of the leader, and they say, let's read John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And they read John, and then they look around and say, what does that mean to you? Okay, that's not Bible study. Well, first of all, you've never even studied it, and you're already asking for the interpretation. How do you have the interpretation without digging the passage? You know, so the bottom line, a lot of Bible studies are just people talking about things that they really don't know anything about. Wouldn't you agree? So we need to study it. We need to be able to put it together, rightly divide it. Uh, for many believers, you never study it. What's going to happen when you, when you get to the heavenly places and Habakkuk comes to you and says... What'd you think of my book? <laughs> and you go, I, I, I didn't read it. You know, right? I mean, most people, if you say Habakkuk, you can say, what's Habakkuk about? What's Ezekiel about? What, I mean, what, what are some of these books about? I mean, you know, so uh, do we know Scripture when we put it together? So what is the story of the Bible? And so let's talk for a second about how some people look at it, the story of the Bible. Some people say the story of the Bible is love. Since the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his son, the story of the Bible is love. Well, God is love, but God is also just, and God is also righteous, and God is also holy. So do we just pick one of his attributes out and say that's the story of the Bible? Well, what about this? Some people say that, no, no, God, the story of the Bible is God's salvation of man. And I'd say, okay, what's, which salvation? Physical salvation? Eternal life salvation? Christian life salvation? Uh, deliverance from an enemy, salvation. I mean, what salvation are we going to talk about? In fact, we're going to find that the very next lesson, lesson number three, is being saved three times. What does that mean? Okay. And then some people say, no, no, no. The, the Bible is about God's kingdom. And there's a possibility when you say that God created a kingdom on the earth, put Adam and Eve there, told them that he's going to rule the world and, and, and subject, you know, everything's going to be subject to him, and then it failed, and, and now God is coming back and bringing the kingdom back, so to speak. But is that really the story of the Bible? It seems like there's much more than that. So what is the story of the Bible? What is the Bible all about? Well, here's simply put as this. God made a promise of salvation that he would bring fallen mankind to himself. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something up here, and I'm going to keep it here for a while, back and forth, and we'll be looking at this as we go through it. And as I said last week, if you have a question or a comment, stop me. Just say, well, I didn't get that or I didn't understand. Uh, if I, you didn't get the answer that we're looking for or maybe you don't understand what we're talking about, be sure and let me know. But, but here's what happened. Here's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they sinned, and they fell. And so God made a promise that he was going to redeem mankind, bring mankind back. That's what really, when we talk about it, God's promise of salvation. And, and here is the key. And so this, I'm giving you two key things right here, the things you need to know. The key word in the Bible is reconciliation. We're going to talk about what it means in just a minute, but most of you know what reconciliation is. You say, well, it's like two people and they're mad and then they come back together. Well, reconciliation is how mankind fell and God brings them back. And I'm going to draw it up in a different way in just a second, but that's really what we're talking about. And that's really what the Bible is all about. The promise in the garden to Adam and Eve that he would send the Redeemer, he would send the seed of woman, he'd send the seed of Abraham, he'd send the son of David, he would send the son of Mary. I mean, he's, that's who he's coming. So here is the story of the Bible. And 
if I put it on a quiz and say, what is the story of the Bible? Write this out just like this. The story of the Bible is this. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you. Here's the perfect God, and here's sinful man. And God, the story of the Bible is how God brings man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ, who died and paid for sin. So this is the story of the Bible. So when people say, what's the story of the Bible? You can say two things. You can say the story of the Bible is reconciliation, how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, you go and talk to people in your community, in our community, and ask them, what's the whole purpose of the Bible? What's it all about? They have no clue. What is, what is the purpose of the Bible? What's the Bible all about? It's reconciliation. How the what? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the Bible right there. That's the story of the Bible. And all the books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way through, they're all the Old Testament's all looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament looks back on the Messiah who came. And so that's what it is. So let's look at this for a second. So reconciliation, and you can just write this down there beside it if you want to. The perfect God. Perfect God is sinless, the creator, the eternal God. You can write that out by perfect God. You don't have to write anything out. You can just do whatever you want. But, but when we think about the perfect God, he is the creator, the redeemer, the sustainer. And then he takes sinful man. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Man is in rebellion. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so and, and says, brings him back to himself. One thing you have to remember who moved in the garden? God came looking for who? Where were they? They ran off. Listen, God didn't move away from us. We moved away from God. So God is bringing us back to himself. And he uses his son, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. He's everything. And he uses Jesus to do that. By the way, and I hope you got that, but here it is. Jesus is the way and the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through Him. There's no other way. That's what John uh, 14, 6 says. And so, bottom line is this. The story of the Bible is how God reconciles man back to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. Now, we could stop right there and say, well, that's a great lesson. And uh, so now you know the first biblical truth that all Christians should understand or must understand, and that's the story of the Bible. But there's more, and we need to see it, and we need to talk about reconciliation. And I think that if you've never seen this, you will go, ah, I've, I've, I've never seen that put together that way. If you have, it'll just solidify it. And now here's the thing. Some of you may say, J.B., we've been in the church for a long time. We've heard this before. Yeah, you have. Are you communicating this to other people? Are you ready to communicate this to other people? Can you take not just what I just taught you, but the, the principles behind it? Because that's what we're going to look at. So what we're going to do is we're going to raise four questions. We're going to talk about what is reconciliation. Because that's the story of the Bible is reconciliation. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. So what is reconciliation? The second, why does mankind need to be reconciled? And then the third question is a big one. Who does the reconciliation? How does all that work? And, and we, we sort of have an idea. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. And by the way, you may say, where did I come up with that? Because that's one of my sayings. You know where I got that? Bible. <laughs> we'll show, I'll show you tonight. And then the final question is, what is the believer's response? What are we supposed to do? How does it work? So let's start with what is reconciliation? That's the big number one there. What is reconciliation? And you would say, if we just said, what is, what is reconciliation? You said it was like when two people, you know, something's wrong. There's uh, people being brought back into harmony. Charles Ryrie, he said this. He says, reconciliation is a change in a relationship from hostility to harmony. You don't have to write all these things down. You can if you want to. But, I mean, that's what he says. Ryrie, you know, most of some of you have a Ryrie study Bible. He was a professor at Dallas Seminary when, when I went to seminary there, he is um, probably, I think, the best theologian of the 
um, basically the 20th and tw- 20 and 21st century personally, but uh, the change in relationship from hostility to harmony. That's really what reconciliation is. And we think about it. It's that change. Now, here's some aspects of reconciliation. And you may not have think of the, think of, thought of this, but number one, people to people. Okay, that's A. The two truths, people to people. And uh, uh, th- that uh, sometimes people have problems with other people. And so look at this right here. Jesus says, leave your offering before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. So sometimes we need to be reconciled with each other. Is there anybody, no, I'm not asking you, has there ever been in your life sometimes when you were estranged or there was a broken relationship with, with somebody else? Is, has that ever happened? Yeah, and then hope, sometime along the line, hopefully you reconciled. So reconciliation sometimes is just people to people. Now watch this one. There's a second aspect. A second aspect, B, is reconciliation is people to God. And I'm going to surprise you on this, these two truths that we're going we're to see. And, oh, oh, by the way, look at this one. And he might reconcile them both in the one body to God. That's us being reconciled to God through the cross, having been put to death in enmity. So there is a, a reconciliation, people to God. Now, this is, I'm going to put this up here, and I'll draw this back up in a minute. But this is gonna, might surprise you just a little bit, okay? Because the first aspect of reconciliation is this. The world is reconciled to God. And we're talking about the whole world. Watch this verse. Look at this verse, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Now, when were we enemies? Before we were believers or after believers? Before. He says when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. What is he saying? Here's God, and here's the fallen world. And God brings the fallen world to himself. Now, that's not salvation. That's bringing, and look how he says it. How had this happened? Through the death of his son. What happened when Jesus Christ died? He what? Paid for sin. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for the sin of the world, he reconciled the fallen world to himself. That's not salvation. That's just bringing the world back into some kind of connection with the living God. Okay? So that's a thing we, we, that, that's a little bit hard to understand. Okay? But then there's a second aspect that the believer is reconciled to God. And, and I, it's really the same verse, and we'll talk about it, and I'll show you another verse in a second. It says, If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We're reconciled with the world, and then as a believer, we are reconciled to God. This is the whole idea of salvation. Okay? And, and we'll see that, and, and, and I'm going to show you something that's pretty neat when we see it here in just a second. But each individual must be reconciled how? By faith. How are you saved? By grace you are saved through faith. So the world, when Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, the world has been reconciled to God. But that doesn't save the world. It just brings them back into some kind of aspect to a connection with God. So then each individual person, when they believe by faith, they are reconciled to God. And we're going to see it, in fact, we're going to see it in a, in a passage in just a little bit, which is probably the most important passage in the whole Bible dealing with reconciliation. I want to show it to you, and we'll see how it does. So each individual must be reconciled by faith. Look at this verse right here. We beg you, he's writing, he's writing, and he says, here's our message. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, the world is already reconciled. Who do we beg on behalf of Christ to be reconciled? The, the world, we want people to believe, and when they believe, they are reconciled to God. So when we think of reconciliation, it's not only the whole world gets brought back to God, but individual people are brought back to God when they believe in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a little bit unique. And see, let me just start, throw something out. And we're going to see it in one of the later lessons. This whole idea that when Jesus paid for sin, he paid for sin of who? Everybody. 
when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death, right? Who did he conquer death for? Everybody. So do you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, this was for every person. That's why the whole world is reconciled back to God. And that's not salvation. Well, I brought this up last week, and in fact, I, I brought it up at d- different times. Some people say, you just need to believe Jesus died and rose again. Believing Jesus died and rose again does not save you. He died and rose again for every person. Salvation comes when you respond in faith and trust God for what? Eternal life. So that's the thing that you've got to grasp. That's what makes this a little bit deep, okay? It's simple, but it's deep at the same time. So, by Jesus dying on the cross to pay for sin, he paid for everybody's sin. But then each individual person, who when they become a believer, are reconciled to God. So reconciliation is man being brought back. Look at this right here. I have it. uh, It says, God reconciled the world to himself through the payment of sin by Jesus Christ. Then it says, God reconciled the individual to himself by the individual's faith in Jesus Christ. Do you all see that? That is huge. Now, let me just tell you something. Most people never heard of that and don't understand that. And so many people will tell you, just believe Jesus died and rose again. That doesn't give eternal life. There are a lot of people who are confused on the salvation message and the response. What is the response? To believe in him for eternal life. The Bible doesn't say believe he died and rose again. That's true. He did die and rose again. And because he died and rose again, he paid for sin and conquered death. And because he did that, he can offer to us what? Eternal life, which comes by faith. Okay. Well, that takes us to our second big point, and that is why does mankind need to be reconciled? Why do we need to be reconciled? Well, we already know the answer, right? Why? Why do we need to be reconciled? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. That's what's happened. In fact, the Bible says all, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so I have all of sin come short. And, and then we have. And the wages of sin is death. And the story of the Bible is, is how God deals with that. So I want you to, to think about this. Remember the verse that we mentioned at the very start? That we saw this last week. We, the, there's two aspects of why we sin. We were dead in our what? Trespasses and sins, and the word trespass means to step across the line, and the word sin means to miss the mark. And so one thing you you need to remember is that in your life, there are times when you said, I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to be good, and I'm going to do everything I can, and, and you fall short, and you sin, and something happens, and you blow it, and that's called to fall short of the glory of God. But there are other times when we say, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have, have you all ever done that? Am I the only one that does that? Have you all done that before? So that's called a trespass. That's called step across the line. So we're, we sin, really, it, it, we're sinners, the, the old idea of trespass and miss the mark, that kind of thing. Now, I've got something for you that if you've ever taken my 2-2 class, you know this, the, the part I'm fixing to show you, but I think it's vital for every one of us in this room to grasp this, and that is this way. We are sinners. Every one of us are sinner in three ways, Okay? Number one, we are centered with what we call imputed sin. I'm going to erase this so we can draw some things on the board. Imputed sin. Does anybody know what impute means? It means to put on your account. It's actually a banking term in the Greek, which meant like if you said, like if you gave me 10 bucks, and I went to the bank and I said, could you put this 10 bucks into my account? And they'd say, what's your number? And And they'd say, okay. They would credit it to my account. Impute means to credit. Every one of us have imputed sin. So here we are. I took art in college. And so uh, when we come into this world, here is Adam. And what was his sin? Ate fruit. It wasn't an apple. We don't know what it was. I bet it was a banana. But anyway, so ate fruit. That was his sin. When we come into this world, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Who is that one man that sinned into the world? Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all what? Sinned. When Adam sinned, guess what? Where were you? You were in Adam because Adam's the head of the human race. And when Adam sinned, you sinned. And we all got a sin. In fact, we all got at least one sin, right? 
and it's eight fruit. And you go, well, that, that, I, that doesn't really seem fair to me. I mean, I wasn't even there. Maybe I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. Maybe I would have eaten a lot more of the fruit. But who knows, right? So how come? How come? How come? And, and so his sin was imputed to my account. Well, okay, so it's a football game. And we line up. And the right guard jumps offside. Right, right guard goes back five yards. Everybody else stays there. Is that right? No, the whole team goes back five yards. When Adam sinned, guess what it did to the human race? The entire human race sinned. So every one of us come into this world in one sense with a sin. Eight fruit. That's the imputed sin of Adam. Okay? Y'all got that one? There's a second one. It's inherited sin. And what, when we say inherited sin, we mean a nature. A nature to sin. A capacity to sin. An idea that we want to sin. The Bible calls it the flesh. The Bible calls it the old man. The Bible calls it sin within us. There is a natural pull in every human being to sin. Do you agree with that? Do we teach our children to do wrong or do we teach our children to do right? Why don't we teach our children to do wrong? They automatically do wrong. Don't hit your sister. What you, that's not your toy. You know, why, why do we have to teach them to do right? Because they naturally what? Do wrong. We, do we naturally do wrong? You, do you have a pull to do wrong? We do. We do. It's called the flesh. And the natural bent to sin is called the flesh. Here's just a drawing of us, okay? This, this is a believer. We have a body. We have a soul, which is the, the part of us that has the mind, the emotion, and the will. We have a conscience, which tells us right from wrong. Every person in the world comes into the world with a conscience. Now, you can sear your conscience. You can do something wrong long enough that doesn't bother you. But you have a conscience because the Bible says the law is written in our hearts. And then we have that flesh, that natural pull to do wrong. Now, as a believer... We're born again, that's the human spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. So there's this battle going on. We'll talk about it in just a minute. But there is a part of us that naturally sins. Naturally, in fact, wants to sin. Ephesians says, we walked in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Do we, we, want, to, we want to do the flesh? How many of you want to do your flesh? You don't? Man. I mean, it's a battle all the time, right? Do you naturally want to sin? Okay. Most of you didn't raise your hand, so you guys are really good Christians. I mean, y'all are pretty amazing. I want to show you some things. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my what? My flesh. For the willing is present with me, but the doing the good is not. Do you have a natural bent to do wrong? You do. Look at this verse. I find in a principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Do you have evil thoughts? Do you have evil desires? Do you naturally have evil things? I mean, we don't want to say it out loud because we think, we don't want people to think how bad we are, but we all know how bad we are. We all have the natural bent to the, is it harder to sin or harder not to sin? It's harder not to sin, yeah. As long as we're in this body, and let me take it back to this, as long as we're in this body, we're going to have this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit, okay? This is the part born again. By the way, I'm gonna, we'll get to this some other time. This part of you called the human spirit, the part that's the new creation, we'll talk about it in a minute, but that part cannot sin. There's a part of you that cannot sin. The part that sins is right here. And you'll have that until God gives you a different body. And so this is the, the aspect of who we are. So uh, we walked according to the flesh. There's nothing good within us. There's evil present in the one that wants to do good. And we have this battle. Look at the battle. He says, walk in the Spirit. That's by, by the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Will not carry out the desires of the what? The flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things uh, that you please. Sometimes you just, you, there are things that you say, I want to do this for God, but I keep messing up, right? So there's a battle going on. How many of you know that battle? Did every one of you know that battle? You do, don't you? 
We're struggling with this battle. It's always there. And so we come into this world with Adam's sin, and then we have this natural bent to sin, and then the third way that we sin is what we call personal sins. We choose to sin. All of sinning comes short of the glory of God. We, we choose to do wrong. In fact, that's sin and rebellion. And so we choose to sin. Now, there are times that we have victory when we walk in the Spirit, and there are times that we don't. And so we are sinner, and this, this is why we need a Savior. This is why we need to be reconciled. Now, I've got down here that there are two ways to sin. Yeah, we're sinners in three different ways, but there are two ways that we personally sin. One is what we call commission. We do things we're not supposed to do. We do things we're not supposed to do. The Bible says don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lust, don't do this. And what do we do? We do them. That's called committing sin, right? So y'all got that one? Okay, and then here's the second one, omission. That means to not do what we're supposed to do. Now, a lot of people don't see this as sin. When the Bible says study to show yourself approved and you don't study the Bible, are you sinning? Yes. Uh, if he says pray without ceasing and you don't pray, are you sinning? Yes. When he says gather with fellow believers and worship together and you don't do that, is that sin? Yeah, now, it's harder to tell. You can tell. You can immediately tell a commission sin because you committed it and you know it was wrong. But an omission sin is you think, I think I'm okay. Well, one of these days I'll do that. And they're both wrong. And sometimes we don't think about that. So, a man, we are sinners. In birth, that's Adam's sin. In nature, that's the flesh. In choice, that's because we choose to do what is wrong. So why does man need to be reconciled? Why do we need to be reconciled? What? We, I mean, why do we need to be reconciled? We've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. The ways of sin is death. We're going to be separated from God. And, and, and here's this perfect God, and here's fallen man, and we need to be reconciled back to him. Now, he's reconciled the world to himself, but what about each individual one? That's what we have to do. Now, that takes us to our third big section, okay? And that is, who does the reconciling? Who does the reconciling? And it, what's, what's really good is, is that God does the reconciling. In fact, you remember, it's the perfect God who brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Let me draw this up here for a minute because you're going to see something that might surprise you. It's beautiful. So here's the perfect God. Here's the sinful man. And his said, he's going to bring us to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the death and resurrection of Christ. So this is, he's going to be the one to do the reconciling. So we're going to see what we call the doctrine of reconciliation. This is the story of the Bible. And this is why I want you to grasp it. We made it simple and just said, God brings man back to himself. That's the story of the Bible. But this is, this, is, this is the truth of it. And we're going to see a passage in just a second, which if you've never seen it, you never put it together, you'll be amazed at what is there. So we see the doctrine of reconciliation. There are three aspects of the whole idea, okay? Number one, God did the reconciling. So that's number one. Write that down. God is the one who did the reconciling. It is all of God. It is all the grace of God. It is what God does. It is God who, plan, who plans and wants to bring mankind to himself. Let me ask you a question. Did, did you, as an unbeliever, want to be with God? Technically, no. In fact, it, all, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one who seeks God. So technically, it's God looking for you and saying, hey, hey, come here. That's what he did. That's what he did. So God does the reconciling. The second thing is the reconciliation is to God. It is not God coming to man. It is man coming to God. Okay? This is powerful. We are brought to God, not God brought to us. And we're going to see more about that in just a minute as we go through this. And the third aspect, and I hope you have this, the third one is, it is through the agency of Jesus Christ. So God brings man to himself through Christ. Does that sound familiar? I mean, how many times have we said that tonight already? Say, that's, that's the story of the Bible. Look at this right here. Look at this. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven 
that has been given among men by which we might be saved. What is the name? What is the name? It's Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? Say it. Savior. It's Savior. There's no other name under heaven given. He's the Savior. He's the one that God uses to bring us to himself. So all of us in this room, if you said, well, I have believed in Christ for eternal life. I, I'm going to heaven. I ha- I'm saved. I have salvation. Uh, what's the method that God used to save you? It is his son, Jesus Christ. God brought you to himself through Jesus. That's the story of the Bible, and that is reconciliation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So turn over there. I've got the verses I just want you to look at it. I'm going to have the verses up on the screen. But I actually want you to read this and see this from the Bible. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning about verse 17 and going through the end of the chapter, is the most important passage in the Bible dealing with reconciliation. What's the story of the Bible? Reconciliation. And, and so if the story of the Bible is reconciliation, and I'm telling you that this is the most important passage, so this is the key passage in the Bible that teaches us reconciliation. And tell me what it is again. Rec- the whole story of the Bible is what? Perfect God, sinful man, back to himself, using his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if we don't find that in the Bible, we're in trouble. Right? Because isn't that what we just said? Okay, so let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 17 and go through the end of the chapter. And we're going to look at two things. Who we are, this is A and B, who, who we are as believers, who are we? And then second is, we're going to see God's reconciliation. I hope, I, hope you, um, I hope you love this as much as I do. I hope you go, wow, this is so good, okay? And that you can't wait hardly to tell somebody else. So let's start, first of all, with who we are as believers, okay? That's A. And who are we? In fact, notice, look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. So it says, if anyone is in Christ, we are a what? What are we? We are a new creation, and that means a different. We're going to talk more about it in a minute. What does it mean to be in Christ? He says, if anyone is in Christ. Well, here's the great truth. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin. When we believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, we are actually placed in Christ. Another name for Christ, when he says placed us in there, is also the church. We're placed in the body of Christ, which is the church. So the moment you believe, you're in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, talks about being baptized in the Christ, into Christ. The Holy Spirit places us in Christ the moment you believe, and you become a new creation. We talked about this before. A lot of Christians say something like this. They say, I'm just, what? I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And I go, no, you're not. You're a new creation in Christ. Don't go through life saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Go through life saying, I'm a new creation in Christ, created in Him to do good works, to live for Christ, and to bring glory to Him. So he says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a what? New creation. That's who we are, a new creation. In fact, I've got this for you. In Adam, if you're you're connected in Adam, guess what? You die. We came into the world what? Dead, because we're in Adam. But the moment we believe in Christ, we're what? We're all made alive. We're a new creation. We're created in Christ Jesus. Now, I've got something I want you to see that's beautiful. It says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a what? New creation. In the Greek, there are two words for new. There's a Greek word that is used to say new as far as time. Like, that's over there, and now this is over here. So this one's later. This one's new. That's old, and this is new. There is another Greek word that means new, that means better. It means it's better. This is the Greek word that's used here. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new, better creation. Because you were dead, and now you're alive. Uh, You were were a sinner, but now you're righteous. And and I think of Paul the Apostle, and we're going to start a study of his life this coming Sunday morning in Grow Group, and we're going to talk about it. And here was Paul, the persecutor, but he became the what? 
the apostle. I mean, his life was changed. The Bible, look what this says. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. What happens? What does he say? What does he say? The old things have passed away. Behold, what? New things have come. What's old? Well, old as you were dead. By the way, this is, this is, one, this is wrong. It should say dead spiritually. You were dead spiritually in sin. So that, that slide is a little bit wrong. So you were dead spiritually. You couldn't know spiritual truth. By the way, an unbeliever can't know the spiritual truths of the Bible. You understand that, right? Right? Second Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man doesn't understand the things of God. And then the third thing, you were condemned. That's the old things. You were separated from God. That's the old. And, and let me just say one other thing too. Anytime as we go through these, you find any kind of error or mistake on the handouts. This is the first time we've ever done it. And so we're typing it up and putting it in the notebook and all that. If you find an error or anything, circle it for me and come back and tell me and we'll correct it so we can get the book uh, better even the next time. So this is what the old is. What did it say about the old? The, it's passed away. In fact, the new has come. You're now spiritually alive. You now can understand spiritual truth. There is now no condemnation to you who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is amazing, isn't it? Aren't you glad the old is gone and the new has come? Because you are a new creation in Christ. Okay. With that in mind, we're going to go and we've got like 15 minutes. And this is so important. We've got to do this. We've got to talk about it. Let's talk about be, and all this is from God. Let's look at God's reconciliation. This is the story of the Bible. What did we say it was? Let me, let me get this out of the way. What did we say it was? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Now, all these things are from God. What? That you're old and now new. All these things are from God. What did he do? Read the verse. God who did what? Reconciled us to himself through Christ. I'm stopping. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. That verse says what we've been saying the whole time. So let's look at it. God's reconciliation. In verse 18, he says, God has reconciled us. He actually does two things for us. And let me, uh, let me find that for you. He is, he's not only uh, reconciled us, but he's given us a ministry. Okay? Two things. Reconciled us and given us a ministry. So watch this. God has reconciled us to himself. Now, what did we say? Does God come to us or do we come to God? We come to God. Notice the verse. God reconciled us to himself. Through Christ. And don't forget it. That's the story. God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Jesus is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so this reconciliation is God brings man to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. He says, now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then what does he say he did? What did he give us? Gave us a ministry called the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the ministry of reconciliation? What is the ministry that we have? What is the ministry of reconciliation? We have a ministry. We get to do what? Tell people what? How God reconciles man to himself. How does God reconcile man to himself? Through Jesus Christ. And we want to tell people how God, we get to tell people how God has reconciled the world to himself and how God reconciles people to himself. This is what it's all about. We get to do it. It's called a ministry of reconciliation. There's going to be more. There's more. In fact, it notice in verse 19, because he's going to restate it. Because Paul says, this is so important, I'm going to say it twice. What does he say in verse 18? God reconciles man to himself through Christ. Look what he says in verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was using Christ bringing the world 
back to himself. He says the same thing. He says just a little bit different, but he says the same thing. God reconciles us. He's in Christ using Jesus. Jesus left heaven, became a man, so he could die and rise again, and he could bring man to God. God is reconciling the world to himself. This passage says he's reconciling mankind back to himself. This is the key. This is the key for the whole Bible. And now here's the most important part. Look at the verse. Namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. What does the next part say? Not counting their trespasses against them. That's our sins. God didn't count our sins. Wait a minute. Can God overlook our sins? Did God say, I, they sin, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not even going to look at them. Is that what God did? He can't do that, can he? Isn't he perfectly and righteous and just? What did God say? The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. And, and so he can't say, well, I'm just going to overlook your sins. He says he didn't count our sins against us. What did he do? He put them on Christ. This is the key. The sins of mankind were placed on Christ. When it says not counting our trespasses against us, he put them on Christ. Look at this right here. 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore in his body our sins on the cross. Isaiah 53.6, he laid our iniquity on him. When Jesus died on the cross, did he take all sins of all people? Yes. God said, I'm going to reconcile man to himself and I'm not going to count their sins. Why? Because Jesus already did what? He paid for them. He took them. What would you do if Jesus Christ had never come? What would we do? We, ha we would have, we separated from God forever. Because there's no Savior. He's the Savior of the world. That's the plan. God laid our iniquity on him. And then he goes on and look what he says. And committed to us the word of reconciliation. That word means a message. We have a ministry and we have a message of reconciliation. We get to tell people how they can have eternal life. We get to tell them how they can be brought back to God. And that's why the next verse says, Therefore we're ambassadors for Christ as God. We're making the appeal. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. We want people to be reconciled to God. How does a person get reconciled to God? How? By faith. God has already said, I'm bringing you back to myself through my son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? Eternal life. It's that simple. That's the message. And so look about us. What, uh, God gave us the, the word. of So we are new creations. We're God's children. What did God do? He reconciled us to himself, and he gave us, he gave us, so he's in his son, Jesus Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. With that in mind, we take the last thing, and that is, what are we supposed to do? Notice the next verse, therefore. Therefore, since God has reconciled us to, to, Jesus Christ, uh, to himself through Jesus Christ, therefore, we are what? We are ambassadors for Christ. We're an ambassador. Do you know what an ambassador is? You ever thought about it? What if you were an ambassador to England? You, you, okay, so let's think about it. What does an ambassador do? Write this down, okay? Ambassador, you, that means you're not a citizen of where that you're living, right? Like if I was an ambassador to England, am I a citizen of England? No, I, I'm, I'm an ambassador. I'm, who do I represent? I don't represent myself, but others. I'm not there for me. I'm representing the United States. Am I right? And I have authority. I have authority from the United States government. Is that right? So if you're an ambassador, you're not a citizen of where you live. You don't represent yourself, but you represent others. And you have this authority. Well, guess what? We're ambassadors for who? Christ. Look at this. We're not citizens. We're not citizens of where we live. Where do we live? In this world. But our citizenship is where? In heaven. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. Who do we represent? Ourselves or who? Jesus Christ. 
And do we have authority? It is the Word of God. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were begging through us. You know, when you talk to people about Christ, do you say things like this? You know, Jesus died for you and paid for your sins, and if you believe in Him, you have eternal life. And, you know, just think about it, and it's just whatever. Or do you say, I beg you, look at these truths. Jesus is your only hope. Do we beg people? Or do we say, mm, take it or leave it? No, we beg people. First Peter says, be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. We're ready to tell people. Now, the purpose of this course is that you would have a basic idea of these truths so that you can communicate them. And so if you look at 2 Corinthians, I've got 5, 17 through 20, we are new creations. What God did was reconcile us to himself and gave us a ministry. And what we're supposed to do is be ambassadors for Christ. This is the whole idea of reconciliation. So if we had to stop and say, what is the biblical truth we want to learn that all believers must understand, we would say the story of the Bible is reconciliation and it is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ where would we go in the Bible to show reconciliation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. So let me give you some, some applications, okay? First one is this. Let's understand the story of the Bible. It is reconciliation. God brings man back to himself. That's the story. So never forget it. God brings man to himself using his son Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 say it two times. And they say it clearly two times. Okay? So understand that. Number two, let's understand our change as believers. We are now what? New creations. We were dead, but now we're alive. We couldn't understand the Bible. Now we can understand the Bible. Uh, we were destined for wrath. Now there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the last one. Let's be faithful ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We have a ministry and a message. What's it called? The ministry and message of conciliation. Exactly. So we got to do that. So what's the biblical truth from this lesson? The story of the Bible is perfect God, sinful man, back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. Wow. Okay. That's pretty deep stuff, but pretty good stuff too.